4. Nehemiah chapter 4. As we saw in Nehemiah chapter 3 last Sabbath evening, God's people are working together. Which is a wonderful thing to behold. They are going in the right direction. Things, of course, are not perfect. Some of the nobles we read in chapter 3 are not involved in the work. But things are improving. The, The walls are being built up. Those gaps that were there before are being closed up. But is this the end of the story? Is this, well, everything's wonderful, the wall was built and they had no problems, and they all went home and lived happily ever after. Unfortunately, it's not quite so simple. There's opposition. And the progress of the kingdom of God will anger some. It will anger and frustrate the enemies of Almighty God. It will anger and frustrate the enemies of the city of God. And this evening, let us see what we can learn from Nehemiah and God's people of this time. A little over 400 years before the time of Christ, when they were upon the face of the earth, and when they had to, in their work for the kingdom of God, that they had to face opposition and to see that God was their only defense. So let us turn now to Nehemiah chapter 4. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, where are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it? For themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Here, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. And to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God. And set a guard as a protection against them. Day and night. 
in Judah. It was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of, of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Our text, once again, is from that chapter in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, under the title of God is our defense. God is our defense. One of the big differences between adults and children is risk-taking. Risk-taking. You'll often see this if you ever go to a playground, the children are playing or doing something, and often you'll see either their parents or someone else looking kind of nervous at what they are doing. 
Children sometimes in this way learn their own limitations. And parents will see the risks of what they're doing a little bit more than what the children might. Your child is learning to ride a bike and you want to put a helmet on his head. But the child doesn't want to wear the helmet at all. Doesn't understand. Why do I need a helmet? But those who've cycled have a better idea of maybe the risks on the road and other things that may happen. I remember I was young and I was in a serious bike accident when I was 16 years old and I knocked out most of my front teeth when it happened. So every time I'm on a road and I see somebody going really fast on a bicycle, I get a little bit nervous when I see them going really fast. They probably don't see the risk in the same way I see the risk. Perhaps I can see the potential danger a little bit more clearly in that situation. We can't, of course, in this life remove all dangers, can we? We can't remove all risks. There are risks when we drive our car. There are risks when we do all sorts of things. We're not in complete control of everything around us. If, anything is, if we've learned anything over the last two years, it's this. We are not in complete control of what goes on around us, are we? But there is a sensible amount of safety we should seek, isn't there? There's a sensible amount of protection, of defense that we should all seek. We have alarms in our homes. We have alarms in our cars. We have doors in our homes. We have walls around our house. We need a certain level of protection. Recently in the news, we've all heard of the very sad situation in Ukraine. And I think many of us would have thought weeks ago, the Russians are never going to invade. I would have thought that myself. But the world is realizing the dangers that are out there and that the protection that is needed from hostile enemies from outside. The need for protection, the need for defense. And the longer we're on this earth and the more we see, the more we see this. Spiritually speaking, we can be blind to the dangers. Spiritually speaking, we may not see the dangers around. That may be because we're not a Christian and we don't have our eyes opened. And it may also be we are a Christian, but we haven't reached that level of maturity that some have reached. To see the dangers outside of the walls of the city of God. There are enemies of the work that Nehemiah and God's people undertake. And we see this in our text. And by God's grace, I hope we can learn what we do in a time when there is opposition. When there are dangers. When there are people or forces that wish to do us harm. Because we are part of that city. The city of God. That holy city. And we will be there one day in heavenly Jerusalem. And to see also, friends, Jerusalem. We need to see God is our only protection. God is our only protection. So we're going to look at this defense this evening. And this defense we're going to look at under four headings. And these four headings are this. 
its need, its means, its prayer, and its courage. Its courage. And the first one we're going to look at is its need or its necessity. Why is this needed at all? Why do we need protection, spiritually speaking? As we said earlier, children often do not see the dangers. Often children or people with less experience don't see the same dangers as someone else who has had more experience or maturity. And this isn't always a bad thing. Children shouldn't be hypersensitive or hypercautious. They should go out into the world and discover it. But as Christians, we also need protecting. Either as young Christians, believers, we need to see that there are dangers out there. And we need to listen to people who perhaps have more maturity in the faith than we have. We learned in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 2 verse 10, that there were some people not happy, that there were some people seeking the welfare of the people of God. Nehemiah 2.10 says this, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man came to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So early on we hear, not everyone's happy about Nehemiah coming back. In verse 19 of chapter 2, it says this, But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, and Jeshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So there's opposition, there's hostility, and there's annoyance in some of the officials who govern in that region. There is this hostility and it comes up again. When the work advances even more in verses 1 to 3 of Nehemiah chapter 4. But it was so happened when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall. That he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And mocked the Jews. And, and, and we see some of this mocking here. And he said this in verse 2. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones and the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned. There's just an utter disdain and abhorrence. This is going on. What are they doing? This is ridiculous. They're... When, when you see people who have no respect for others, what will they often do? Mock. Ridicule. It's often a sign that they have nothing positive or no concrete things to object to. All they have is ridicule. All they have is mockery. We can often think of perhaps playground bullies. What will bullies do on the playground they will mock jeer other children and often with things that are not even true to dominate those other children to make them afraid and the mocking is because they're angry they are angry at what is taking place you often see people in the media who clearly dislike Christianity they clearly dislike the Bible and they clearly dislike the word of God 
and it will turn to ridicule. It will turn to mocking. Long before, before I was a Christian, I used to listen to a particular comedian, and he would always mock and ridicule creations. So, friends, we see that this mocking and ridiculing that we endure today for the cause of Christ, it goes back thousands of years, and it is not easy. And it shows a heart that is angry with the work taking place. That is, that is the source of the mockery. That is the source of the ridicule. And that is the source of why it happens. You, you think too. You know if when you read the accusations of Sanballat. And even Tobiah in verse 3. Tobiah in verse 3 says this. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said whenever they build. If even a fox goes up in it. He will break down their stone wall. Foxes were very common at that time. Can you imagine a fox just walking on a decent wall? That's not going to fall apart. This is a useless effort that they're doing. And if this was true, if what they were doing was what they said, why, why do they care? You would think, well, why do they care? This is not a very impressive feat, so not much to be said about it. Because the enemy... Wishes to demoralize the people of God. They wish for you to give up. And you may experience such mocking in your workplace. You may go through the taunts of the enemy. And the enemy may not even realize that he is taunting. There's often people they think they're being funny and different things. They don't realize what they're doing. They're slaves to sin. They're hostile to the building up of the walls of Jerusalem. But the unbeliever wants a weak church. They want the walls in ruins. And they don't want those gaps closed in the walls of Jerusalem. They want a church that's easy to attack. Easy to invade. Easy to invade. Sanballat is saying, you are ridiculous. Give up. Give up. There are enemies, so we need defense. There are enemies, so we need defense. In, verses, in verse 11 of our text, Nehemiah chapter 4 says this, And our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything, Till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Now this is the Jews reporting on what they had heard. But there's this clear opposition. There's this clear threat. If you've ever gone to a dangerous area. You'll notice higher walls. If you ever lived abroad, you'll actually see that outside windows, there's bars usually in many homes where, where I lived in Italy years ago. If you go to Spain or Portugal or any country like that, there are bars outside the windows because crime is so high in many of those areas. The more the threat, the more the risk, the more defenses and the stronger the defenses that are needed. Perhaps somebody needs a guard dog. Perhaps somebody needs other things. But there's no high enough wall to deal with the enemies of God. And we cannot 
deal with this alone. Spiritually, we face a greater attack than anything in this physical world. Anything that the Russian army could muster up is nothing compared to the spiritual attacks against the city of God. Nothing compared to it. We face the devil and his seed, his army, sent out to do us harm, to conquer, to invade. And an invading army does not like a difficult war. We need a far we need someone or something far stronger to, to protect us, or we are utterly helpless. A city without a wall, a city without defenses is utterly helpless and ready to be invaded. So, friends, before we go on to see that God is our only defense, we have to see our need. We have to see how utterly helpless we are without God, and we are defenseless. We're defenseless for many reasons. One of them, our enemies, who wish to do us harm. We'll also look at this defense in its means. Its means. So it's need, and number two, it's means. This defense, found in God, is not found in physical walls. It's not found in anything else. But we can be tempted to think, well, does it matter? Does it really matter what I do? Well, God is my defense. I am protected. I'm okay. So we can kind of think, well, I don't have to work that hard or it doesn't matter what I do I can do nothing to help in this building project that is going on around me in the city of God notice that these people part of God's city they did not stop building they didn't stop building they kept building trusting in God as their protector in verse 6 it says this So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. So we must not think that these things of working in God's city and trusting in his defense are in any way at odds with each other. It's both and. It's both trusting in him that he will defend us and also continuing the work. Continuing to do wise things. They were, however, tempted to throw in the towel. There was discouragement that came. There was, they did become weary in the work. As they started to focus, as we all can, on the enemies that wish to do us harm. In verses 10 and 11 it says this. And Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. The strength of labors is failing, they said. They felt weak. They felt a sense of discouragement. And there is much rubbish That we're not able to build the wall. What is happening here? They're they're not seeing God at this moment. But they're seeing, you could say, all the obstacles, all the challenges and the difficulties of the work. We are to you. They continue to work. 
But they used ordinary means. Ordinary means to defend themselves. In verse 18, it says this in our text. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So in all this text, they they went through difficulties. They went through struggles. But they continued to work. They were helped by godly leadership. They were blessed by godly encouragement through Nehemiah. But they continued to use ordinary. We use ordinary means. Things we must not abandon in our labor for God's glory. Nehemiah showed great leadership. He showed amazing leadership here. Not sitting back. But guiding the people to defend themselves. They came with this discouragement. Right? They came with this report. Uh, They came with this challenge. Even in verse 12 it talks about the Jews who would come to them. And they came ten times. And and the Jews from around the area said this. From where whatever place you turn. They will be upon us. But this is how Nehemiah responds in verse 13. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall. And at the openings. And I set the people according to their families. With their swords. Their spears and their bows. He positioned them where the places were of immediate need. He didn't give in to the discouragement. That can be very, very hard. When in leadership, men in the, in the eldership, it's just really hard. If you have a, a body of people coming to you and they're discouraged, what do we do? It, it, it's not easy. And it, it is only possible because Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He was a man. He was a wise man. And God filled him with wisdom. God filled him with wisdom. To know what to set him. The work still goes on. Even though they were trusting in a supernatural God to do everything. The work still must go on. God does not depend on any leader. And we praise God for that. He doesn't depend on any mere man. But he wonderfully used Nehemiah. And he used those people. And he used those ordinary means. To defend the city. Where is the immediate need. In your area. Where you are serving. With your skills that you have. Where is the immediate need. We can listen to the challenges. We can listen to all the problems we have. Let us be about the work. Let's continue the work. And let us be about it prayerfully. And this leads us on to our third point. This defense, it's prayer. It's prayer. The greatest means of defense we have is prayer. It is a cry for help. If you see throughout the Psalms, I cry to thee, O God. It is a cry for help. From the very depths of our soul of Help me. In verse 4, we have Nehemiah saying this here. In verse 4, sorry. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn the reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not 
cover their iniquity. And do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Prayer is a cry of a helpless sinner. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The first beatitude in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. Blessed are literally the beggar. Spiritual beggar crying out for help. And that is what prayer is. Crying out. Seeing how needy we are. And crying out to God. The more needy we see that we are. The more helpless that we see that we are. The more in need we see we are. The more we will depend upon God. As Christians we see this. Some more. Some less. The more mature you are in the Lord. The more you see your helplessness. The more you depend upon God. And we see this don't we. If if we hear on the phone. Bad news. Somebody seriously ill. And we feel utterly helpless. We can do nothing. We go to prayer. We go to pray. This prayer we see here in our text. Is a prayer of deliverance. Now when we read this, this prayer of Nehemiah. It may sound harsh to our ears of today. It may sound harsh. He says once again. Hear O God for we are despised. Turn the reproach in their own heads. And give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. It, it, it sounds very perhaps we might think of even unloving. But why can we pray this same kind of prayer today? And I say when appropriate. This is appropriate for the time because they were under open and hostile attack. Imagine if you were in the woods and you're going through the woods hunting with one of your children. And you come along and you see a very dangerous animal. What do you do? You've already two options, perhaps. Maybe you have a gun or something else. The animal wishes to do you harm. He wishes to do your child harm. What needs to happen? In Psalm 59, the enemies of God are described like this. And we're going to sing it later as we sing to his praise at the end. They return at evening snarling like dogs and prowl around about the city. They wander for food and howl if not satisfied. In the end, the enemies of God are destroyed. The enemies of God are destroyed. This is what will happen. This is their fate. Anyone who will not repent and turn to Christ will be destroyed. There is the wrath of God ahead. And just as if we would stop any other threat if it was within our power... Their weapons, their plans are also destroyed. This is what, this is really a prayer for deliverance from Nehemiah. In the midst of our salvation, 
There's a crushing of the head of the serpent. Think back to Genesis 3.15. The, the, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. There is a crushing of the head of the serpent. And a defeat of those enemies of God. And this, we must be also be careful, this is not just to be used against people we dislike or anybody who has done us wrong personally or, or shouldn't be used against a particular politician we don't think particularly highly of. We should hope that those who are currently against us, those who are currently hostile to us, will join and trust in Jesus Christ and become part of this city and not be under the curse that Nehemiah prays here. So the grace and mercy of God is still there. But there's also here in this prayer shown what will happen to those. Yes, God, do not blot out the iniquities of those, your enemies, who will not repent and not turn to you. We hope that, don't we, in this area. We hope that those who are currently enemies will trust in Jesus Christ and come and be part of the city of God. Our final point this evening is this. This defense, we're going to look at its courage. Its courage. So we've looked at its need, its means, its prayer. Prayer showing our dependence on God. And it's courage. This defense brings courage to God's people. We depend on our God who brings us victory. He brings us victory. When God's people face discouragement, what did Nehemiah say? And again, there's so many examples of Nehemiah's wonderful, prayerful, wise leadership. Why? Because he was a man of prayer. And he said this, verse 14 of our text. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember this God whom we depend, who brings confidence to his people. And if we realize how much protection there is in God, that hedge of protection That only allows in whom he will permit. It brings courage, doesn't it? Why would it not? When we think about it, when we think about this protection of Almighty God, God is our defense, would we not be courageous? Imagine if you are a young boy, You're you're in the playground, you're about 10 years old, you're at school. You don't have any friends, and every day you go to school, you are mocked, you are bullied, you are beaten. You are not strong enough to face these bullies. What happens to such children when they go to school like that? 
They go to school scared and they go to school with anxiety. Great fear and not courage. Because they're defenseless, utterly helpless. But imagine someone new comes to the school, an older boy, 12 years old, a lot stronger, a lot taller. Defends that younger boy. The bullies no longer want to attack the younger boy because they fear the older boy. They fear him. They can only attack if he allows it. And they do not want to. They don't want to mess with him. That younger boy is no longer scared in school and he no longer needs to fear his oppressors. He feels far braver and far more courageous as he enters in feels far braver with his new friend by his side there to defend him we have a far more powerful friend in Jesus and far more powerful than any enemy we're ever going to face at any stage of our life more powerful than death and the grave When we remind ourselves of that God, it will give us courage. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord when you are fearful. Remember the Lord when you forget the protection around you. Remember the Lord when you feel anxious, when you feel fearful. Over the last two years, there's been much fear over what the enemy can do to us. And that enemy is death. Death is an enemy, isn't it? Or what other enemies may do to us. No matter the enemy, no matter the weapon of the enemy, please remember, friends, please remember this. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Isaiah 54, verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. No weapon. And knowing this, wouldn't we not be courageous? Bravery... It's not that we fear nothing. We fear God. And if we fear God, it will drive out the fear of everything else. And that's the fear of man. Fear of death. Fear of all sorts of things. It says this in verse 15. Verse 15. And it happened. When our enemies heard that it was known to us... That God had brought their plot to nothing. That all of us returned to the wall and everyone to his work. God had brought their plot to nothing. Our, Our defense is in God. Our defense is in God. Keep working, dear friend. Keep working. Believer in Jesus Christ. Keep going. 
As they said in verse 20, our God will fight for us. Now, having said all that, I never want to say this, that the work is not easy. It will have its discouragements, as we saw in our text. It will have our trials. We will be that person going to our friend and talking about all the challenges that we face. And we feel like giving up. We feel like dropping the hands. And the devil wants us to be discouraged. He doesn't want you to keep going. In verse 23, it says this, So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. And you have this picture here at the end. They're exhausted. They're tired. This all, this all work was done in 52 days, by the way. They're surrounded by enemies. No doubt they would have a time where they are kept awake in anxiety. And God got them through it. But though tired, exhausted, and could not wait for the work to finish. But perhaps you, that's you here this day. Perhaps you are weary, you're exhausted. And you can't wait for the work to finish either. You can't wait for that rest Remember the Lord. Remember the God who will fight for us. He won't just give you rest in the world to come. And that is amazing. But he'll give you rest here. He'll give you peace that passes all understanding here. He will defend us here. He will protect us here. I'm not saying that you won't go through trials. I'm not saying that you won't go through difficulties. You will. But it will only be. Because God allows it. It is only because God permits it. And remember, all things work together for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Are you in this city? We'll leave you at this point this evening. Are you in this city? Are you a member of this city? Have you entered in through the only way to enter this city? The Lord Jesus Christ, the truth the way and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. And unless you've come to Jesus Christ, unless you've fled from the city of destruction, that place of sin, you are not part of the city. Come, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he is near. Amen.